0: Okay, so if if I get too far away from it, you can just wave your hand frantically in the air. So we uh, today we're going to do a little bit different uh, meditation. Instead of loving kindness at the beginning, I'm going to do a compassion meditation. It it goes along with what I'm talking about today, but it's done it's done. Uh, you can do the four Brahma Vihada meditations on the four highest abodes, the four highest qualities that we develop. Their loving kindness, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, joy for others, and equanimity, which is that equipoise, that, to- that balance that we find. And uh, you can practice all of those as meditations and that's a real they're really powerful meditation. So we know loving kindness and we do it a certain way. We can practice compassion the same way, but the way I'll guide it is a little bit different today. So and we know that compassion is harmlessness is the quality of uh, compassion, is complete harmlessness to all beings. So the same way we practice loving kindness to uh, not have anger and to be have that friendliness, that attitude of friendliness. Compassion is having an attitude of harmlessness so you never are a threat to another being. And also having that uh, that open-hearted feeling about what everyone, even our enemies, could be going through cause them to be the way they are. So let's begin. Just allow your body to be relaxed. Whether you're on a chair or on the cushion, you want to be relaxed so your body and pain in your body doesn't interfere with your practice. Palms up or down, doesn't matter. Begin just by being aware of the body breathing. And lift your spine up. It helps us be attentive and awake. And if you're practicing, it also can be uh, bring comfort to your body. You're letting that spine support you. And be with your breath. with each inhale and each exhale. As you breathe in, you can even feel, breathe in compassion. And as you breathe out, just breathe out into spaciousness. we can begin compassion practice just like we do with metta, with loving-kindness. We send this quality of compassion first to ourselves to truly want to be harmless to ourselves, to do no harm to our body, to our mind, Think with compassion rather than judgment and criticism on any acts we do that we later regret. Compassion for our humanness allows us to let go of that. We don't hang on to that. So breathe in that quality of compassion. Caring for ourselves, forgiving ourselves, being aware of what we need to make a change or to be different. If there's something we need, compassion can allow us to see And we can work with compassion moving out from ourselves. We're going to move out more and more out into realms that are comfortable for us and then into uh, the boundless quality of compassion. But we'll represent that as a light having a curtain pulled around, around the light. We develop compassion within our hearts, we open our hearts. We want to develop that quality of harmlessness, and also being able to see what the other might need to heal them, to help them. Doesn't mean we go out and actually do it all the time. We may not be able to do that. But we can see, especially with people that we disagree with or uh, don't like or don't know, we can understand them more by knowing and seeing their suffering and having an idea of where that comes from and what is needed. So we develop that compassionate feeling within us and then as we move out, we imagine, just have an image of opening a curtain very slowly and that's let a light out in front, that light of compassion. We open the curtain a little further and gradually more and more light, compassion is flowing out to both both sides of us, we can move from thinking about those who are close to us and familiar with us and who we're familiar with about being able to see them with those eyes of and heart of compassion whether we're angry whether we're sad for them whether we just see them suffering this heart of compassion is just seeing it, being able to understand. And if there is a way we can help, it helps us know what's most appropriate. Instead of choosing what we think we need, we're seeing what the other needs. moving out through loved ones, to strangers, the people we haven't met, then out to difficult people, people we feel like we don't understand and can never understand. But with compassion we can understand, we can see more clearly Just keep pulling that curtain, letting more light, letting more compassion out at your own pace. But it's important to have the willingness to see the other with compassion. Not with how we want them to be, but with the situation and the suffering they're dealing with right now. You may need to gradually open this curtain. It may take a while. But ultimately, the compassion, the same as loving kindness, has to extend out to all beings. It's an infinite quality, it's boundless. We always want to practice pushing these boundaries out a little further, a little further. Ultimately, we can. Let this light of compassion extend from us in all four directions. And then as we continue practicing, we can also add upward and downward. So we're sending it in six directions. And eventually it's radiating in all directions. This is the compassion that's our open heart. Understanding the suffering of others. each exhale just feel the spaciousness allowing the compassion to just move out from your open heart Now let your attention come back to your breath. We can practice mindfulness. you can just stay with the breath, that's our anchor. We always can come back to the breath. When we lose our mindfulness, when we become distracted and caught up in stories, or just kind of daydreaming, we can catch ourselves, and that's a beautiful point in our practice to be aware that we've drifted off. Now be aware of everything coming to you through your sense doors. Your eyes are closed so you won't You may see light, of light, or streaks of light and dark, but we close our eyes to give us a little bit of uh, seclusion from all the visual images that are so appealing. But we hear, we smell, we taste, we have our entire body making contact. We feel our clothes on our body We feel the temperature of the air. We may feel how it feels sitting in our chair or the cushion. We feel our feet on the earth. So as you're paying attention to everything coming into your sense doors, and each one of our senses has a sense consciousness, don't forget, I forgot to mention our mind, and so that we will see in our thoughts the thoughts that arise. Don't push the thoughts away, just allow them to arise and allow them to pass away on their own. Just don't feed them attention or they'll want to hang around. But as you're being aware of all of these sensations, there's no lunch cooking downstairs, so that's maybe cutting out some of the tantalizing smells you notice when the lunch is being but I want you to think of the, just the feeling tone you experience in your body and in your mind. And the feeling tones are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So pleasant is actually uh, connected with uh, sensual delights or greed. The things that we, we want, the things that we crave, the things that make us feel good, feel comfortable. Might be a, you might be uh, wanting a softer cushion or a higher cushion, or you may be hungry, wanting something to eat. the feeling tone of unpleasant is actually connected to aversion. With the pleasant, it's something we're moving towards, that we want, that we desire. Very subtle, but it's moving in that direction. The unpleasant, things that we're kind of pulling back away from You may be very happy with silence and then hear a car that comes by with the radio blasting of the truck. You may think, oh, I don't want to hear that sound, it's not pleasant, I'm meditating. So you may react to it with some degree of uh, aversion. And the neutral feeling is often that we're just kind of, we might be daydreaming or we might just be ambling through our mind. We're not really paying a lot of attention, but we're relaxed and comfortable. So neutral doesn't mean that we're in a place of equanimity. Neutral usually means we're not paying attention. True neutrality would be equanimity, would be that perfect balance. But we need to be skeptical of feeling um, neutral. We need to be more subtle in examining that feeling. If you're aware of a lot of neutral feeling tone, see if you can look at it more closely. True mindfulness gives you a, a feeling of a kind of joy, a very pleasant sensation of joy. It's a temporary feeling of joy, but it does. It is that quality. Being an observer, you're aware of yourself. You're able to let go May we all be well and happy and peaceful. May we be filled with compassion for ourselves and the other, for all living beings. And May everything we do and say and think be done for the benefit, not only of ourselves, but for all beings everywhere. Thank you. Let's do the chanting
1: (laughs) Namo Tase Bagewato. Hare hato Sama Sambudase Namo Tase Bhagavato Hare hato Sama Sambudase Namo Tase Bhagavato Hare Harehato sama samputase. Utang sarenang gachami. Dhamang sarenang gachami. Sangang sarenang Dutiyampi api saranam sarenam kacchami. Duti api tamman sarenam kacchami. Duti Tatiampi udang saranam nang Tathiyampi Tatiampi damang sare Tathiyampi gachami. Tatiampi sangang gachami what Sankara Upa Domino Upajitwa Niruchanti, upa Sape Sata Avera Hontu Sabe Sata Abya Pacha Hontu Sabe Sata Aniga Hontu Sabe Sata Sukia Tanam Pariharantu Mano Pupangrema Mano Seta, Mano Maya. Manasache padutena, basati wa karo tato nang dukaman weiti, chakam wa waha Mano ba dama Mano mano maya manasa che pasane na wa tato nam sukha man I the of all If
0: with a corrupted mind one should either speak or act, suffering, suffering follows caused by that, as does the wheel follow the ox's hoof. Mind is a forerunner of all states. Mind is chief, mind made of they. If with a clear and competent mind, one would either speak or act, happiness follows caused by that as one shadow that never leaves. We believe in generosity towards others. We believe the skillful noble path is marked by generosity. We believe generosity has many levels. Think generously, speak generously, act generously. We believe generosity is the heart practice, and this practice allows us to become more open, accepting, and forgiving. We believe extending generosity to ourselves and others is a direct way of healing division. Bringing joy and nurturing the spiritual community for years to come. My wish might make time both now and forever a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. By means of this meritorious deed, may I never join with the unwise, only the wise, until the time I attain the Well, it's. uh, I see a lot of new faces and a lot of unfamiliar faces, so it's good to be here. I haven't been here much over the last, since like a year and a half. Um, I am working with something these days that I wanted to share, so I have some, I have my cheat sheets here because I'm in the process of working with it. But it's, this is a, it's a perfect book. It was was written before the pandemic, but it includes it, it couldn't be more perfect for the pandemic. But it's uh, mindfully facing climate change by Biku Analeo. So if you're um, if you're familiar with Biku Analeo, he's a wonderful teacher, and he's uh, right now he's in residence at the Bari Retreat Center in Massachusetts. So you can go to his webpage or to the Bari Center webpage. It's B-A-R-R-E. And you can actually download this book for free. And I've had it um, wow, it had to have been three or three years ago. Uh, he also had an online course you could take in it that was uh, that covered a lot of the covered a lot of the a book. And I worked with a group in Wisconsin. We did, we did his online course. And then the pandemic happened and everything shut down. But the, the book became even more relevant as we move through this pandemic and, and into whatever our new reality is. But he's very realistic about the climate change and very uh, committed to trying to help us in this book, he wants us to see the Buddhist point of view in terms of looking at uh, something as uh, profound as uh, climate change, as conditions in the world. And he wants us not to be looking at it the way the world might look at it, but as followers, students of the Buddhist teachings, the way we see it. And if we're if If we're working with those principles, it helps us develop uh, the qualities of compassion and mindfulness and uh, a sense of he even talks about at the end of the book it helps us develop uh, the qualities that we need if we're facing the end of the end of our world as we know it. so he's not he's not uh, making it be you know, it's not soft and fuzzy, but what he's teaching is how we can understand it through the Buddhist teachings, which will help us because it's it, we can get caught up in what the uh, what social media says about it, or what politicians say about it, and and what uh, social activists say about it, and we can get all caught up in uh, should we be angry about all this? Should we be out marching? Should we be uh all you know blowing up blowing up corporations that are contributing to to the uh the ozone later being destroyed, and he really gives us a sense of okay if you're students of the Buddha and you are really trying to work with these principles in your life let 's talk about this and he goes back to the early pali the early Buddhist teachings and he he doesn't get caught up in, let's be like people were 2,600 years ago, but he, gets, he, he really examines what the Buddha is talking about for, in different areas. So something that I discovered in the book that I think I had probably not spent much time with since I was doing the course, but it's he has the entire last appendix of the book is the, are the meditations, that he recommends that we can use to help us personally, and it's also a way to help us see, begin to see how we can be of help to others. He's not at all opposed to social action, but he's, he's, he's very, uh, he wants us to be very considerate in what we decide we can do and not be overwhelmed with what we can't do but to find a way to maneuver through a difficult time. So I think now that we have had we're, we're still in a pandemic that just isn't doesn't want to go away and there's so much political you know there's so much political division and division that we most of us have probably found with friends and family and uh, that's continuing that's not that's not easing up. I think this book is even even more appropriate and just becomes more and more powerful all the time. So I wanted to share the meditations. And so what we did with the compassion meditation is what he. I'll, I'll go through his uh, his the meditations. But the first one is contemplation of the earth. And we didn't do that because I. I thought about well, we could just the whole hour could be meditating on these things, but I thought that would probably be not not what everyone wanted to do. But uh, body scans and Vikuinolio talks about these. They you don't find body scans in the Pali Canon in the early teachings. they are suggestions of meditations. But body scans came a few, maybe a few hundred years after the Buddha's teachings. But uh, he, he feels they're very important and they're very, they're very good practice. We can work with a lot of the principles of the Buddha doing body scans. And the, a body scan is also how we get, we come into our own body and we remember that that body is, we know it's impermanent we're learning all the time how impermanent it is. But it's also very important because it's carrying us around. You know, it's, if we don't have the body, we don't have this, this life to live. And the human life is such a precious gift to us. With all the bad things that happen and all the good things, it's a chance for us to uh, hear the Buddha's teachings. It's a chance for us to just uh, work with our minds, If you're a scientist, or if you're a, you know, you stay at home all the time, it's still a chance to grow and learn and expand the consciousness that we have. It's a very important part of our samsaric journey, you know, because a human has such capabilities to understand things, Mm -hmm. and so we have to understand that that's why this human body has to be part of our. Mindfulness and of our practice, not to adorn it and to dress it up and to use it as a way of um, showing who we are in the world. Or is, those things are not important. But what's important is that we take care of the body so we're able to do the things which might be actions that we want to take in the world or we want to be able to be physically uh, able to do the things that we want to do, or even if we can't physically do them, that we can mentally do them. So our body's an important, it's our vessel. You know, it's our little boat, or it's like the clay pot that we're inside of. So we want to take good care of it because we have to. We want to use it for a long, healthy life, but not to the point of having aversion towards it or having that uh, sensual desire caught up in, in it. So, that's one of the important things about a body scan. But I'm going to, we, we did two of the meditations with our compassion practice and the way we did mindfulness practice with the, the feeling tones. But I'll tell you about the other two. So, the first one he wants uh, us to be able to practice is contemplation of the earth. And this body, we talk about the four elements, and sometimes people talk, uh, teachers talk about the six elements. The four elements are earth, water, wind, and fire. When I first heard about these in Buddhism a long time ago, I thought, well, we, you know, we, don't, we're, we don't do that. We're modern people. We don't talk about those four elements are sort of ancient, uh, science, kind of way back. And I thought they weren't very important, but uh, actually doing the, the course, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness with Bhikkhu Analio, I found out how important they are. And of course, the, the, our world is made up of these four elements, but we're also made up of these four elements. And so, there, these working with the elements is a very important part of our practice. It's a very important part of how we see ourselves, our connection to the earth and to all other beings. And it's being connected with those elements and understanding them allows us to, to see. When like when we talk about being grounded and uh, touching the earth, we're we're literally making that connection with the with the the element of earth that's in our bodies, and the element of earth includes all the all the solid parts of our body. It includes hair and teeth and bones, but it also includes most of our organs that we think like our kidneys. It it doesn't include uh, blood and water, but it includes all of the things that give us like a even our skin because that helps provide a, the shape. So, when we connect with these, very good practice to help us reconnect with our own bodies and then reconnect with our place on the planet. So, the first meditation that he recommends is a body scan, just being aware of those elements of earth within us. And it's um, the way he does it is, is very easy. So, you know, if you, if you look at the text, sometimes people think of you have to go all the 32 parts of the body and there's a there's a kind of and it's not antiquated it's just a different style and Biku has a very simple style for working with all of these elements so he just starts at the top of the head and you move down through your and you're looking inside and outside you move so we're working with the earth element we're moving down through our head we're We're aware of the earth element within us. So it's our skull, it's our hair, our eyelids, our teeth, all the bones. We go down through the neck, we do the same thing. Then, and then this is a, uh, we can do it very slowly, or he also recommends doing it quickly sometimes. We go down through both arms, all the way, upper arm, lower arm, we do both at the same time. Or we can do one arm and then the other. Down through our hands and our fingers. So, oh, our nails are earth element. And that the sinews, the muscles, can we can think of those as earth elements. Then we come back to our upper torso. And we can think of our... You know, the bones through this part of our body and then our liver, we can see that is earth element. Our kidneys, lots of the organs in our uh, abdomen. Go down into our pelvic area and think the bones, we have hip bones, we have some body parts that are pretty, feel like earth elements. Then go down through the upper legs and there are a lot of strong bones in this part of our body, and our knees, down into our lower legs. And we're still seeing our skin and the hair on our body, that's an earth element. And then down into our feet and all the bones, all the earth element in our feet, we have so many bones. And then you, if you want to, you can also come back up. But that's, a, that's how he does the body scan for all of these elements. You can do the same thing with the body with water. And then fire is the heat, how we regulate our temperature, the heat when we digest foods. You know, calories are just the way you count the heat, right, when you digest things. And uh, you you can notice air in your body, well, of course, our breathing. But also, if you have, like, a tummy ache and you have gas, there's the air element. And when we're moving things in the body, when anything's moving and shifting, which is doing all the time, that, it, that often involves the air element, wind, the air. And then the uh, water. We're, you know, we're made up, we're primarily water, so we have so much water. So we can think of our eyes as the as earth element because they feel kind of solid to us, but they're also made up mostly of water. But the one he recommends for working with the the issues with climate change, and I think also with kind of the political upheaval we see all over the world, is this, the earth, the body scan with the earth, earth element. Sometimes we may feel really adrift, or if you, you you don't know what you think about something, if you can work, Helping yourself become reconnected to the earth that can be very positive. So it's a contemplation of the earth, and we do it by this uh, meditation on earth element. Okay, we'll quickly go through the others. There's a lot. He he, he's a beautiful writer. So if you you know just reading what he says about it is really inspiring. The second one is contemplation of the mind, and that's how he did the mindfulness practice today. And the way he recommends, so that mindfulness is being able to step back and be the observer of what we're doing. So if we're listening, you know, we're taking in sounds and things. So being mindful is when we're aware that maybe a car sound that we heard irritated us. Like, ah. That always happen. In the summer, that always happens. But, you know, we had some uh, good teachers today because what our expectation is is that it's going to be silent and peaceful here. We come to the temple because it's quieter than our own house and we can concentrate. And then there's a truck, you know, shifting gears. So it's it, if we're really paying attention to pleasant, unpleasant, neutral we notice even that slightest irritation or that slightest uh, oh man that happens every time Mm -hmm. it's saturday morning like 10 30 it happens Mm -hmm. and we just get a little like why is that so uh that's that's that unpleasant and then the pleasant might be oh i'm going to go to expressly leslie's for lunch when i leave here (laughs) And, uh, and I'm not. I can't today, which is bad. I'm supposed to go get a COVID test, I think. Um, not, don't be al- alarmed. I'm just... <laughs> I'm traveling to see my mother in a couple of days, so I do it thanks to Marty. I, I, I remember to do a COVID test before I go see her in Tennessee. Um, but... I'm just a reminder person. I'm not a yeah, she isn't a caregiver, but sometimes she is actually. When <laughs> a good one, uh, a, a reminder person is good. But the so contemplation of the mind is we can just be aware of that. We can be aware of when we're we're uh, it, when we're moved, wanting something. We want something. Oh, I wish I'd worn my. Uh, Really comfortable shawl, it would have been nice in this kind of chilly building. And you might be thinking something like that. So that's kind of aversion and pleasure. (laughs) It's pleasant and unpleasant at the same time. I'm cold, I'm too cold. And then think, oh, I have that wonderful shawl I just got for Christmas last year and I forgot to bring it. So stupid me. So we're, but these are, if we're being, if we're trying to be mindful, we can see when we're not mindful and that's what the practice is about more and more we are able to observe ourselves not being mindful and when we and in that meditation the drifting the ambling around this like oh it's pleasant i love being here it's you know nothing's nothing's on my mind well that's not really mindful that's not really mindfulness practice that's not really meditating so that's what we think is neutral just love hanging out here. So we, we think that's neutral, when in fact, it's, that's either uh, the sense pleasure or the, the uh, aversion. And so our task, and I remember when Bhante Bhaya, we were talking about a sutta and sutta study, and most of us thought, oh, neutral was great. you know. And he, he was the first one to tell any of us, no, neutral is not great. Neutral, neutral means you're not being observant. Neutral, most of the time, means you're not paying attention. So you aren't being—you aren't subtly looking at what's going on. So for most for, for most of us, often our meditation, if it just pleases us, and we just feel like we really relaxed, and you know, we just feel better afterwards. A lot of times, that's because we were we were just just kind of comfortable just being with ourselves quietly so we weren't really focused on uh, practicing one of the meditations or being mindful being an observer of our wandering mind is sometimes that's sometimes that's what we need to do and just see where does our mind wander so when when you are really mindful and you can go into that spot then you have this feeling of piti, or joy. And it, it's 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 temporary at first, but then as you practice and practice longer and practice deeper, that joy can become a, a less permanent. And it, it it becomes one of the first stages of what we call the jhanas, which is just when you when your mind is able to really get quieter and settle down more and more and you're not this Kind of daydreaming, but you're actually you're being mindful, but you're being in a state of of uh, actually being mindful. Although it's temporary, you can feel it. So you've because when you're not being mindful, you're gonna you really are either feeling that pleasant or unpleasant, or you're caught in a. Uh, my favorite is to get caught in a. I don't know a science fiction story or a date, just a date you know, we we get lost in whatever draws our attention. So that's contemplation of the mind, and that's what we do. And it's really good to use the feeling tone to help you with it. And then cultivating compassion. So we did some, that's what we did instead of menta practice. And here's the example from a sutta that Bhante, ba, Bhante Analeo use, uses. I'm trying to. That's the time, and my eyes aren't very good. Okay, this would be. I'm going to go fast now. Um, <laughs> if you, if, if this is in one of his suttas. So you're, you, there's a there's a mendicant or or a ascetic, or just a regular person who's traveling from one village to another, and in the middle of that journey, that person it's you know it, it's he's kind of equidistant from where he started and where he was going but he gets sick, and so he realizes he can't go back and he can't go to his destination, so he sits at the side of the road, but he's very sick. And uh, if you see that person, to be compassionate is to see and understand that that person is ill, that person isn't able to go backwards or forwards, And and you can recognize perhaps uh, he needs water. That person needs water, or that person is really sick. He needs to have a blanket over him, and uh, you know you can't call for an ambulance 2,600 years ago, but you can think about what he needs. Maybe the person's hungry, and th- that's the compassion towards that person. You're not thinking, oh, he was probably got drunk last night and he fell down and. He's, he he deserves to be there because he you know he couldn't he couldn't make it home so uh, and it's not <clears throat> feeling sorry for the person it's not like oh poor guy and just and not not being aware it's the awareness of being able to see that other person without judgment or criticism but to be aware of what they might need because you can feel It's not being empathetic to that person, but it's understanding what they might need, not what's wrong. So this made me think about politicians today. You know, somebody's ranting and raving and we disagree with them. A compassionate heart would, would think that there's something that person needs that they don't have, and that if they could have those things to help them, that they could possibly you know, maybe stop yelling, or maybe they could stop, uh, <clears throat> and with climate change, maybe they could stop pushing for more coal mines. So um, it, it's, it's seeing what that person could need to be a person that, that is not suffering. So we see the suffering of another individual. We, we can't always get rid of their suffering, but we can certainly see that there is suffering, and we can try without judgment or without... Now, this is a hard one, because it's not always just a person who's sick. I mean, if it's a person sick by the side of the road, that's probably an easy one for us. But it's sometimes when people are different from us, and we don't like where they're coming from or what they're... Uh, how they feel about the vaccinations or about uh, climate change. We, it, a compassionate heart is what we need to be able to look at them without having anger. So compassion is actually the complete development of the quality of harmlessness, to do no harm. So even if we're looking at someone we think of as an enemy, we can see them through the eyes of compassion, we don't want any harm to come to that person. And we, have, and we become very clear about that. So we do no harm. So even if we can't go and help them or change them, we aren't going to think about them in a way that is harmful. Because what we want to be is a person that is. we become like a, a sanctuary, just like we say when we do my wish, a sanctuary for people, for animals, for the earth. For everything about this life, we want to be harmless. So, that's and then the last one is the contemplation of impermanence. This is very important. He he gives more space for uh, talking about how we develop that because that's such an important Buddhist uh, principle. So the reality is that all things are impermanent. All things rise up and pass away all things all all things made up of the five aggregates form feelings perceptions mental mental formations and our and consciousness all of those are the sources of dukkha because they're all impermanent, so that means this body is impermanent that means uh, the way that our, the, the way we feel—that's impermanent. That means our perceptions, the way we view things through the lens of our, you know, mind. All of that's impermanent. All of that suffering—that's the important thing. It's all suffering. It's not like, man, I have a great mind. My brain is so wonderful. <laughs> you know, I'll have this till the day I die. This is just, and I probably take it with me. These are the, our mind is part of what causes suffering? Because we can easily lose our mind, right? And most of us, maybe, a lot of us, I know I am right now, I'm dealing with a parent who's, who's at 97 is become, has dementia. And it's scary to me because that's not how I've always known her. And it's scary to know how to be and it scares her. She's frightened by it. So we, we know people... You know, we, we, we treasure our minds, most of us, because that's who we are, right? But it's all of these things. And then consciousness. All these things are uh, impermanent. So they're sources of suffering. So the so the meditation on impermanence is being able to sit with that. So I'll leave you with that without going into more detail because I don't want to go on. But... Um, I really encourage you to try to find this book I know on my Facebook uh, presentations we're working we're doing we'll be tomorrow we'll be doing the uh, impermanence meditation and uh, it's really I it's been helpful for me and I think if you have any kind of issues that you're working with the this series of these four practices are really valuable just integrate it into your practice even if you have five minutes you can do feeling tone you know you could it doesn't have to be uh like it, he does recommend when you do these practices you can do them with any kind of time frame but he does recommend for us to help become more and more grounded in our practice that when we can when we have an opportunity to that we go on retreat and i know if you have a young family that's like down the road somewhere. But um, if you ever have a chance to go on, and he recommends like not, uh, he recommends maybe a week retreat is a is a, goal, a nice goal to set. A week, two weeks, not doesn't have to be three months or something that is uh, difficult to schedule. So thank you very much. And i think tessa has announcements and i have tessa i Bhante asked me to speak uh, specifically about the uh visiting monks <laughs> then i'll then i'll turn it over to you um uh, bonte sujata asked if i would uh, just remind you that with the blessing ceremony the new year's we call it our new year's blessing ceremony and it's chanting and uh it's it's a lot. It's really the most beautiful service of any of them, I think, for the whole year, because it's very peaceful and you can meditate. While the- we have Bonte Badia builds a gazebo, which they then tear down the next day, and it's it's a, it's a, they do it because it represents impermanence. We used to try to grab that stuff and take it home with us when they when we first had the temple and the monks were doing that and all the lanterns we wanted to we for a while they like sold them to us they're like that's not what we do really, these are supposed to be a sign of impermanence you're not supposed to decorate your house with them you hang them outside and let them fall apart in the weather but they figured we're westerners we have a lot to learn <laughs> so the gazebo is beautiful and we'll have probably 11 or 12 visiting monks yeah and uh, it, they, they all have to get here, and then they, they have to, they, so we always ask to let people sponsor monks. I always like to say, it may, it'll, it'll be, we will give each monk uh, probably $150 to help pay for their cost getting here, because they, they all come from a distance. And they might have someone driving them or of someone else that they need to take care of for their trip. So if you can only donate enough to sponsor a thumb or a couple of fingers, <laughs> that's really okay. And if you do have enough to do the whole body, <laughs> that would be a hundred and fifty dollars. But every little bit helps and it all goes it all goes to helping uh Bring, bring them here, and it's it's such a beautiful meditation to be listening to the chanting, and you can also bring an item, and they, we pass this big bowl around where you can put it in, and then you can just let it soak up the good vibes from the chanting. huh. we need uh, flower donations too? We, there will probably be, uh, uh, we always need flower donations. That's great, that's, and I'm sure that'll be coming with some they might have committees working on that, but flowers are, the day, of, the day of it is great. So I'm just putting that plea in direct from Bhante Sujata to ask people to, to do that. And it feels good to come. It, it's, it's, a, it's a service that you might want to invite people to who've never been here. And I, we usually bathe, the, we do the, the we have the, the Buddha that we bathe, which is another ceremony that we don't do very often, but it's lovely. And if you've ever done it, you get to pour water that has rose petals. We we need a lot of flower petals the way it's we decorate because. So if you have uh, access to flower petals, <laughs> sometimes it's sad to watch the roses being pulled apart. So if you have a chance to gather petals, but uh, then bathing the the Buddha is a is a way, it's kind of an act of purification. And so it just feels good to do it. I think it's beautiful. Some places have a baby Buddha, but we use a smaller statue of a Buddha. And uh, you get a blessing bracelet at the end if you'd like one, and all the visiting monks are tying bracelets, so it is a lovely time to come to the temple.